While you're uh, sitting down, why don't you turn to the book of Ephesians in your Bibles. There's a pew Bible in front of you if you don't have one. Ephesians 5, it'll be page 153 in your pew Bibles, 153. We'll be looking today at verses 22 to 27 of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Well, believe it or not, we're rounding the last bend in our uh, year of the caring community a year in which we've been focusing on the community, the family that we can experience as brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course, caring community is just one of our three values. The first value, growing intimacy. We spent all of last year focusing on growing intimacy with God. And then this year is caring community. And then next year will be our third value, going passionately. So we're accomplishing our vision in this three-year period anyway, literally by stepping from one to the second to the third. So we're nearing the end of our year of the caring community. We've just finished a 40-day focus on love in general. As most of you know, we've broken up into small groups to learn about love, about the relational principles of Jesus. I've preached about it from the pulpit. And uh, now we're going to focus that emphasis on marriage. We're going to focus it on loving in the context of marriage. We're going to kind of bring it, literally bring it home now, because, of course, being a caring community here at church has got to start at home. Or it's kind of hypocritical, right? At the, and the heart of the home is the marriage. So for today as well as this next weekend, we're going to plunge to the heart of where love has got to begin, and that is in marriage. And we're going to have a marriage conference, as most of you know, what we've called a love, what you call a love and respect seminar. It's one of the best that's out there, one of the most biblical, one of the uh, most practical, and it'll be a video venue, as they call it, and I'll guarantee you, it'll change your marriage. It'll revolutionize, anyway, your understanding of the one that you married, which you might feel a bit dumbfounded at at times. And doing that could revolutionize your relationship. A few weeks ago, we used the same picture that you'll see up there on the screens with, uh, when I talked about the secret of a love that lasts in general. Today, we're bringing the same picture up because today we're going to focus on, as well as next weekend, on the secret of a love in marriage that lasts in general. And it begins by understanding some very simple things that come right out of the Scripture. Simple things like a woman needs love uh, to be cherished. A, 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 A man needs respect. And today I'd like to tee it up by taking a look at the passage of Scripture that this seminar comes from, that love and respect comes from, and that's Ephesians chapter 5. Except we're going to deal with it from a different angle, but still a very simple teaching, and that is this. Underneath it all, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard, but it's also good. As in, marriage is hard, so don't get too down on, you know, your husband. Don't get too down on your wife. Don't get too down on your marriage um, if it's hard. Because the Bible teaches that there's an incredible purpose behind all of the difficulties that every couple shares to one degree or another. And one day we're going to be looking back from glory and thanking God for the hardest times of our marriage because we're going to be experiencing for all eternity the fruit of that crucible. We've talked about this before, and I'd like to deal with it today from a slightly different angle. Um, a marriage is one of the most difficult challenges in life, and it's a very dangerous thing not to be aware of this. 
Because when the inevitable challenges come, you, you, it's so easy to feel like something's seriously wrong with this relationship, with, this, with the match, when in fact it's what every marriage experiences at one time or another. One husband whose name is Al tells about one of those times in his marriage. Apparently his wife, Janice, didn't get all, uh, along all that well with his parents, which isn't all that unusual. And the story is this. Al's parents, Al's parents promised to send them a box of fruit while they were in vacation in Florida. And um, here's what happened. He wrote it down. He said, a carton arrived with oranges, which I like, while Janice eats only grapefruits. And she says, your parents sent you oranges because you like oranges. Does anybody else in this family ever think of anyone else's needs at all? And I look inside and I find only the top two layers are oranges and underneath is grapefruits. But she's still mad because we always get oranges from my parents and it's all my fault and I can take all my stupid oranges and put them in my closet where there's plenty of room because my clothes are all over the stupid bedroom. And then I reach in the box, and there's a card there. And I take it out, and guess what? The box was from her parents. <laughs> of course, it can cut both ways. It's not just the women. Uh, you may have heard of the story about the couple that was attending a marriage conference, a seminar on communication, and the instructor was talking about how critical it is that husbands and wives know the things that are important to each other. Okay? And so he asked the men this, can you describe your, your wife's favorite flower? Well, Bob leaned over and he gently touched his wife's arm and he whispered, Pillsbury all-purpose, isn't it? <laughs> it's true. You know, it's, uh, the rest of the story is not pleasant, so I'll leave that out. But some men, all men, at one time or another, just don't get it when it comes to the needs of our wives. And that can be really hard. And when things get hard in marriage or in your future marriage, this is as much to prepare you for marriage as it is for those who are. Um, if you're single, you need to know that you're not the only one once it happens. It can be hard. It is hard. Let's admit it. Let's get it out of the closet, okay? And here's why. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that means make her more pure and mature, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. And then he sums it up um, uh, in verse 29. Uh, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, husbands, just as Christ also does the church. And then down to verse 33, here's where it sum, he sums it up. Let each individual among you love his own wife even as himself. This is the seminar, love. And let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. 
This is the longest passage on marriage uh, that you'll find in the Bible. It's the most important passage on marriage that you'll find in the whole Bible. And yet, it's also one of the least uh, understood passages that you'll find in the whole Bible. We tend, we tend to view it kind of through rose-colored lenses about the beauty of marriage, of the relationships, the wonder of this love, and how husbands and wives get together. Sometimes we view it through rose-colored lenses when really, literally, it's uh, dripping with blood as we're going to see today, with the blood, sweat, and tears that almost always go into a healthy marriage. I get so tired sometimes of listening to wedding sermons that talk about, uh, you know, that kind of sanitize these verses. And, uh, and it's like as they're going through it, I'm thinking, don't you see? Right? There, there, it's like there's this elephant in the room here and nobody's talking about it. Someone's dying on an altar in this very chapter. Some poor wife is going up in smoke. And look, oh my God, there's a cross here. And some poor husband is being nailed there by his wife. How so? Well, let's start in verse 22. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. This is, we can't, don't have time to get into all of it, but to sum it up, this is the altar of submission. The altar of submission. And among many other things, what that means is this. Marriage is an altar where sometimes you're forced to place your fondest expectations as a woman. It's where they go up in smoke. God told Eve in Genesis 1, He said, Your desire shall be for your husband. It's kind of an unequal desire in some ways. A woman desires a man in a lot of ways more than a man desires a woman. What's the marriage that's happened? To, um, to this day, a woman often desires her husband in a way that sometimes anyway, her husband doesn't naturally desire her. Like the desire, say, just to give an example, to, for, for her to hear the details of your day when you get home. You know, and we men, it's like we're totally tapped out when we get home. We're totally talked out. And the last thing we want to do is go over the whole day. I mean, why relive it again? That's what a man kind of feels like sometimes. And then what do you do? And on top of that, the left side of our brains are not hardwired to the right side of our brains like they are with most women. Scientific evidence proves this. And so sometimes the communicating feelings, something emotional versus logical, can be a little bit more difficult for the man. It's like the little girl who asked the little boy. She said, hey, you want to play house? Sure, he said. What do you want me to do? I want you to communicate your feelings. Communicate my feelings? I have no idea what that means. To which the little girl says, perfect, you can be the husband. <laughs> I don't want to over-stereotype things here, but there is no denying that there are big, there are huge, as in Mars and Venus, differences, right, between men and women. And, um, uh, and few men know what it's like to desire someone like a woman desires a man to the depth of which she desires her man, uh, that uh, he, uh, and for that desire not to be satisfied. The point is this. When Paul tells someone whose desire is for her husband that she should submit, which in this context means she should not take the lead in forcing it, in making it happen. Indeed, you find out when you take the lead in making him do what you want to do, it'll just get worse. 
So don't take the lead. And yet if it's, you don't take the lead, sometimes it doesn't happen. If, when, when Paul tells the woman to be like that, that she should take a submissive rather than this reactive posture toward her husband, it means that marriage for the woman is going to be pretty hard sometimes. And so it doesn't mean that something's wrong with a match or with your man. Your man. It means maybe something's wrong with all men. Uh, or it's just the way we're wired. There are strengths and weaknesses to all strengths. But, uh, but of course, it goes both ways. There's not just an altar in this passage, and we must move on. I wish we didn't have to. But there's also huh, a cross. Starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. He's cost, talking about the C word. He's talking about crucifixion. As Christ loved the church, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the Word. A fundamental teaching here is as, as you fulfill your role as the husband and as the wife, you grow. And the way the husband does that is by loving his wife in a crucified kind of way. Cutting to the chase. What Paul's talking about here is this. He's talking about you loving her while she nails you to a cross. At least, that's what it's going to feel like sometimes. And how does it play out? Well, Peter tells husbands to love our wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Now, in a lot of ways, women are stronger. They're stronger in relationships. They're stronger constitutionally. They'll outlive men, right? We men uh, burn out and wear out over time. Our, our women are just hitting their stride once they hit 50. Generally, that's the case. But in other ways, as Peter says, they're a weaker vessel. And this is true in different ways. For instance, it's a hard world out there. And none of us have had a perfect upbringing. And we all come out of our past with some wounds. And sometimes, anyway, a woman being a weaker uh, and a more vulnerable vessel and more sensitive, stronger, yes, but more sensitive relationally and easier to exploit, sometimes a woman will come out of a hard past with far deeper wounds than a man would. I don't know how many couples I've counseled that way. It's not always the case. Sometimes it is. With a lot of hurt and anger that can only come out, uh, that, that can only be healed when it comes out in, uh, in the presence of what you might call uh, a willing victim. A loving victim. Who takes it into himself, all that anger, and loves her instead. That's what heals her. Someone who's like Christ, who, First Peter 2.23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. A woman needs a man who's stronger than her anger, who neither, a man who neither withdraws or attacks, right? Or any combination of the two. Who bears and endures it like a real man. And you, and you, you might say, by your stripes as a husband... Like with Christ, she's healed. This kind of love can be so painful that Paul says in Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Because that will be the tendency when you're on the cross. Most husbands are called to take up their crosses when it's, you know, that time of the month. To take up their crosses maybe during the menopausal years. I better stop right there. 
might not seem like it, but I'm giving equal time to men and women. And basically, I'm done there. My point is this. Few men know how hard they are to be married to. No matter how godly you may be. Women, sometimes for our husbands, uh, or few women know that. And sometimes for our husbands, for a, it feels like you're being na- nailed to a cross as a man. Few men know how hard they are to be married to, and women too. Sometimes men, for your uh, wives, it feels like their deepest needs are going up in smoke right in their own house. So many wives carry a secret sorrow, and it can feel like the deepest part of you is going up in smoke on the altar. And the point of the passage, and others like it, is this. That's how we grow. No pain, no gain in a fallen world. No guts, no glory. And life is all about character. What we'll carry with us into eternity. That's all that matters. It's how God, uh, marriage is how God revolutionizes the human heart in a way that could never have happened had you not chosen of your own free will, you know, to get in that crucible. And you think, this is what I saved myself for? Maybe every husband or wife has felt that way. It's like Michael Novak wrote. He was a famous philosopher, a journalist. He was a Catholic novelist, diplomat in the U.N., and a champion of marriage and family. Listen to what he said. In our society, of course, there is no need to become an adult. One may remain, one is daily exhorted to remain, a child forever. In such a life, the central aim is self-fulfillment. Marriage, in that context, becomes merely an alliance involving as small an invasion of inner privacy as one partner may allow. People say of marriage that it is boring when what they mean is that it terrifies them. Too many and too deep are its searing revelations, its angers, its rages, and its loves. They say of marriage that it is deadening when what they mean is that it drives us beyond adolescent fantasies and romantic dreams into what true love is all about. Being married and having children has impressed on my mind certain lessons, he said, and most of what I am forced to learn about myself is not pleasant. The quantity of sheer impenetrable selfishness in the human breast, in my breast, he puts in parentheses, is a never-failing source of wonderment. I do not want to be disturbed, challenged, troubled. Huge regions of myself belong only to me. Seeing myself through the unblinking eyes of an intelligent, honest spouse is humiliating. Trying to act fairly to children, each of whom is temperamentally different from myself and with each other, is baffling. Amen, parents? My family bonds... Hold me back from many opportunities. And yet, those bonds are, I know, my liberation from the selfishness that's so fundamental to our society. They force me to be a different sort of human being in a way deep down I want and I need. And what I tell couples, if you've not experienced this, you know, I'd say either it's because you're still in the honeymoon stage. 
It's almost impossible to get couples to really believe this in marriage counseling. So you just plant the seed and say, well, just wait. It may or may not be true for you. And it, you know, they may just be in the honeymoon stage if it's not true, or your hour may not come until the kids are born. Or, uh, you know, until midlife crisis or the empty nest or until you're forced together by retirement and you can't, you know, you haven't lived together for so long and it becomes hell on earth. Or it it may mean that your relationship isn't real and you've swept stuff under the carpet, you know, and there, there are issues you're not dealing with and you don't know you buried them alive and not dead. Which is why more older couples these days are divorcing. Or you may be the exception to the rule, which I guess may be possible. But overall, it's like C.S. Lewis said. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. You know, it just reminded me of, um, of my mother. My dad died when I was six, and my mother went through seven years of widowhood. And... Uh, my dad's identical twin brother, after the six years, started to feel like it'd be better if she would, you know, get married. But she didn't want to. And she didn't want to be vulnerable again and to have a spouse die. She didn't put it to words, but she was afraid of going there. But God started to work on her heart. And she said what got her over the line was a bunch of scripture, counsel, etc. But a quote that she happened upon at the very end of the seven years. Or the, uh, and, that, and it goes like this. Um, uh, it, What is it? To refuse to love is our greatest loss in life. She said this so many times, I can't remember. It's so good. Just wait, just wait. Our greatest loss in life is our our refusal to love. The foolish prudence which fearing risk misses happiness as well. Maybe you're single right now and your folks were divorced. Your dad died, your mom, you're afraid of getting close. The greatest loss in life is the love we would not give. The foolish prudence that fearing risk misses happiness as well. That's what you call the counter-truth, you know, to all of this. To love it all is to be vulnerable. And especially in this most vulnerable of all relationships, you can go to one of two extremes to just avoid it like the plague and you'll not grow. Or to focus only on that and to think that something's wrong with the match. It's a very dangerous thing not to be aware of these things. Of course, there are perks, too. Marriage is really, really good, too. We talked about it in Iron Hour this week. We have the challenges of marriage on one side of the whiteboard, the perks of marriage on the other side of the whiteboard, and there was a long list under the perks. There's the romantic love that, you know, that hooked you in the first place that can be rekindled as the years go by. I've seen it again and again. There's a companionship that gets so comfortable, like a good pair of slippers, right? When, as you grow older and you're together and it feels good to read together or whatever, there's the pleasure of the marital bed, otherwise called sex, which someone called a sacred drama, unlike anything else. 
the marriage bed is like a sacred drama, he said, of something that's kept secret between husband and wife. A drama that's deepened by the fruit of that union, by the children now scattered and sleeping around the house. A drama deepened by the house itself, a house made a home by a husband and a wife together, by flowers planted in the garden and leftovers in the freezer, by clean clothes folded and dirty clothes waiting in baskets by the washer, by prayers said together every night since the first child was born, on and on he goes. It can be really, really good. And under all, under it all, like no other relationship in life, because it's so hard, it can transform your life and fit you for eternity. Unbelievable. Again, Paul sums it up in the last verse of this chapter, Ephesians 5.33. Let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. Again, that's from this verse that this whole marriage seminar comes. It's founded simply but powerfully in the Scripture. Because Paul's main point here, and you see this in the rest of Scripture, is that, is that a, a, a man needs respect and a woman needs love. And on top of what we've been talking about today from this same passage, how marriage is hard but good, there are three things that will give your marriage longevity. Three very simple principles to understand. Foundationally today, marriage is hard, but good. And then this weekend, a man needs respect. A wife needs love. Here's just a taste of the kind of uh, understanding that we'll be gaining starting Friday night. Wives are multitask. Left and right brain research has revealed powerful findings. But with this incredible strength come exciting challenges for husbands. Ladies, because I'm saying this, doesn't mean you can just dump all of this stuff on him. It's what I call spider webbing. You just get so excited, so many things are happening, and you just come at him like you with your girlfriends who can collect all this information. So you start with this point, and then that point reminds you of this point, so you don't finish that point. And then you go to this point, and this point reminds you of this point, and you don't finish this point. And this point reminds you of this point. Now, if you give him 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes, you'll always come back to each of those points and tie a knot around them. Okay? And you women can just go with this. But let's suppose you come home, your husband comes home and says, Do you know what happened at school today? They had this huge rainstorm. All the kids were outside because there was a fire drill, and Johnny got sick, and I had to take him to the doctor. So Johnny's really sick? Is that what? Is that, what? No, no. You know Mary, that nurse? Mary is the sister of that man, that boy that took me to the prom in high school. I, it was, he had a 57 Chevy that he, it was just unbelievable. In fact, she told me that he's now in Peoria, Illinois. He's uh, in construction. He built a huge mall there. In fact, when we go through there this summer, I want to stop at that mall. In fact, did you stop and get the laundry? I, I, I asked you to stop and pick up because we need some clothes because the babysitter is going to come around 730 night. In fact, they're so sweet. They just moved here from Arizona. And I just found out about that. I'm so excited. But we have to leave here around... <laughs> Please, honey. Please. What's the point? God made us, male and female. Your wife has unique strengths, and so does your husband. Come find out what they are. 
at a Love and Respect Marriage Conference. Well, there's a lot more like that. And if you want to come, I'd strongly encourage it. Whether you're single or married, you can sign up at the welcome desk, find out more. You can also sign up online. But Julie, my wife, will be back there to talk about it some more. Well, we'll have the ushers come forward. I I don't think it's probably a coincidence that we're talking today about love and respect in marriage and how to love in the right way. Um, Because we come to the table, which we do each month, when we really celebrate the ultimate love. The kind of love we all need in our relationships, especially in marriage, a love that's willing to sacrifice on an altar or on a cross, a love that gives up what it needs. And as we learned on Resurrection Sunday, that love of Christ on the cross is now available to us because he was raised from the dead and he'll come into those who believe that he died for their sins as their resource for strong marriages as well as strong relationships. He is really in you if you believe in Him. And the table is, well, when we remember this in our minds, it's so easy to take it for granted so that we can be filled up with His love anew on a monthly basis anyway in our hearts. Father, I do pray now that You give us live contact with the love of Christ through the blood. Thank You that the body was broken so the blood could be shed. So, Father, I pray that you would break our hearts so that we could be filled with your love out of that brokenness. As we hold in our hands the bread that stands for the broken body of Christ, broken because of our sins, bring to mind our own sins that we need to confess. Help us to come clean. Break us now that you might fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.